Well, today's scripture comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. We will have an alternate reading, uh, which means that I'll read the first verse, and we'll all respond with the verse after that. We'll keep going back and forth until the end. We're going to read it in the NIV. We encourage you to find it in a pew Bible, or uh, if you have a Bible app or brought a Bible with you. And uh, please stand as able once you're prepared to read the scripture. Again, that's Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. So please rise as able. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil. And there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, friends, uh, we're, we're so glad to have you here uh, for uh, part six of our Truth Is series. And we have been saying this all along that uh, th- this sermon series is about bringing maybe uncomfortable truths to us. And some of them are not the most uh, crowd-pleasing truths. <laughs> In Scripture, it talks about sometimes uh, there are false prophets that say what people's itching ears want to hear, right? Like, like people want to hear, oh, you know what? Like, like, you're all special, and you're all awesome, and God wants to give you lots of money, and people are like, oh, that's so great, you know? And that would be nice, and, you know, it's kind of nice to get people to like what you have to say, but sometimes the truth isn't like that, you know? And so I, I thought about the sort of, uh, I don't know if it's really irony, but I was like, man, you know, the first day that we have the sixth graders, we're going to be talking about how everyone dies, <laughs> like, like, oh man, like, <laughs> I picked like the perfect sermon for <laughs> like a, a summer day like this and you guys are all gathered to hear about how we're going to die. <laughs> but friends, you know, there are some truths here that I think we need to hear. And, you know, I, I know for me, um, there are some things that I just don't want to know about. Um, we, we have this kind of phrase that's getting... Uh, bounced around a lot nowadays called spoiler alert. Like, you guys ever watch a movie and you're like, oh, don't tell me the ending. You know, don't tell me what happens. And for me, um, this is part of the reason why I don't like watching historical movies. Like, have you guys seen the movie Titanic? 
I remember um, on, it opened on Christmas Day. I think it was like 1997. My whole family wanted to see Titanic. And I was like, okay, first of all, it's Christmas, right? I know what's going to happen, right? The boat is going to sink, right? Spoiler alert, right? It's the Titanic. Like, like when you talk about the Titanic, nobody thinks about anything other than the ship is going to hit that iceberg and it's going to sink. It's like, man, I don't want to watch it. But it turns out that it's actually a pretty good movie. It won all these Oscars. It's like, I think it's still uh, one of the highest grossing movies of all time. Um, like, man, all these people wanted to go see a movie whose ending you already knew was going to happen, you know? Uh, but friends, the, the whole spoiler alert thing is interesting because, you know, like we like to have this uncertainty about how things are going to end, you know? And so, especially like with movies or TV shows, you know, I want to know, I mean, I'm invested in it because I want to know if the main characters are going to make it out on, alive. I want to know if they're going to be happy. And for a while in America, um, just about any popular movie had to end with a happy ending, right? Like the heroes had to vanquish the villains and they had to make it out alive. Um, recently, I've been watching a lot of like Asian movies, like especially Korean movies, and Korean movies are almost the exact opposite. Like almost every Korean movie I watch, everybody dies. I don't know what, it is, what that says about Korean culture versus American culture. But it's interesting though, right? And one of the things that, um, you know, I, I guess people have made t-shirts of this, but spoiler alert for life, right? Spoiler alert for the earth is, if we can go to that, yeah. <laughs> spoiler alert, everyone dies, right? Everybody's going to die. And that, that shouldn't come as a surprise to us, but it's true, right? Everybody's going to die. And that's what scripture tells us. And it's not a, a, like, a, again, a very uplifting thought for a lot of us, uh, but it's a truth we need to face. And so uh, th- this whole uh, uh, book, Ecclesiastes, has been ascribed to a very wise person. You know, whether it's Solomon or somebody who's like Solomon, he's a very wise person. And one of the things he keeps talking about is the inevitability of death. And I think that there's something in there that we need to pay attention to. Something that maybe we don't like to hear, but something that is very important for how we can live this life wisely. How we can live this life to its max. That's kind of the the whole contention I want to make. This is really what this whole message is about. If we want to live a meaningful life, you must face the reality of your death. And so here in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, it talks about this certain fact, unavoidable. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. What event are they talking about that happens to everyone? What event? Death. Death. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Spoiler alert, right? Uh, We all die. Uh, As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns on an oath. This is an evil and all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. This is something that's not very pleasant for us to think about. But Solomon insists, or whoever it is who's writing uh, the teacher, insists that we come to grips with this. He will not let us escape it. It's like, hey, it's going to happen to you, right? 
Um, and so the truth is that this is not going away. Um, and so one of the things we learn is that uh, a lot of us, when we face anxiety in life, we live in avoidance of that. And it creates a lot of problems for us. And so if you look at my handy-dandy little uh, diagram here, it's a very, very fancy scientific diagram, right? When there's a threat, you face anxiety, right? And when that uh, uh, anxiety is very great, for a lot of us, we have fight-or-flight responses to it. And many of us live our lives in trying to avoid anxiety. This is part of the reason why we do things to distract ourselves. This is the reason why the entertainment business, we talked about Titanic and all these other blockbusters and all these things, right, are such huge money makers. Why a stupid uh, movie franchise like Transformers, which is like, they're the most idiotic movies you'll ever see. I, I, like those movies make like a billion dollars, right? It's like so silly, these huge robots and, you know, they're just really loud and like all crazy special effects and the movies aren't even that good, but people will go and see it and they spend their, you know, hard-earned money to watch these movies and to turn off their brains. Why? Because we're avoiding something for many of us. You know, yes, there are times where we go headlong, you know, with eyes wide open into entertainment and that's not a bad thing. But I think for many of us, we spend a lot of our lives trying to avoid threats. And the greater that threat, the greater your level of avoidance probably will be. And so I'm going to try to convince you that the greatest threat of all is what? Mike? Death. Death. Yes, it is the greatest threat of all. You know? And there is this idea that if that is the greatest threat, that will produce the greatest amount of anxiety in your life. And that will also then produce the greatest level of avoidance in your life. Does that make sense? It will create the greatest fear and it will create the greatest response for your life where you will not deal with things in your life well. And if that is the greatest threat, then if we could deal with that, then everything else in between will be small potatoes by comparison. Does that make sense? That's the case that I want to try to make to you, that uh, death avoidance is a real thing. And so this threat that is posed by death, that tiger, man, it's not a tiger, it's a saber tooth. You know, maybe it's like a transformer saber tooth. It is, it's souped up, right? This threat is real. This threat is facing all of us. None of us make it out of life alive, Right? We all have to face the saber tooth at some point, right? And so let's continue in the scripture. It says, yes, you know, all of us are going to die at some time. It says, but he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. I love that, right? Like, what's wrong with dogs, right? Like, man, why you got to, you know, talk bad about dogs? But a dog is nothing like a lion. A lion is so ferocious, but a dead lion does nothing. And so to be a living mouse, to be a living ant, is better than being a dead lion. So all of us are going to die, but while we are alive, we have hope. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. For the living know that they will die. For the living have hope. There are two things that are being joined together here. Living, 
has hope, right? Whenever you are alive, there is the possibility for change. When you're dead, not so much, right? We know that. But it also connects this idea that if the living are conscious of the fact that they are going to die, then we can have this hope, right? And so it says, go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in the afterlife to which you are going. Um, So whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Do it with all that you are. Do it with gusto. And this is one of the things that I have found in life, friends, that we cannot live our lives with gusto when we are living in fear. And the fear of death is the biggest fear there is. Um, you guys know Psalm 23. It, it is uh, one of my favorite scriptures. It's something that I r- recite every morning. I, I walk my dog every morning. First thing in the morning, we, we do this little lap around our neighborhood. And then he goes pee and poop so he doesn't do inside the house. And while we're doing that, I recite Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You ever think about that? Why does it say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Why doesn't it just say the valley of death? I think the shadow is what a lot of us are afraid of. It's not actually death, because in many ways, we don't even know what death is going to be. But what the shadow of death is, is all the things that death represents. And for many of us, death represents the ultimate uncertainty. Death is very unnerving for a lot of people. Um, I remember when I was younger, um, I can't remember exactly how old I was, I want to say like maybe about fifth grade, about 10 years old. There are times where I would stay awake at night just having these night terrors. You guys ever experienced this? I would just think about this idea that of death. You know, and I would wonder about it. I would think about it. And I would just sit up all night just like, like oh my gosh, what's going to happen when I die? Just this big void, this big nothingness. I don't want that. Oh my gosh, I'm going to die. And this is kind of a a, a strange thing because I was 10, right? You know, uh, I have uh, worked in a church with people who are like much older than me, average age 70 at this church I used to work at called St. Matthew's. And I have done more funerals in five years working at St. Matthew's than um, I ever cared to do in my entire life. I mean, I did so many funerals. There was one month, my last year there, where I did five funerals in one month, a lot. I've been sitting at the death bed of people, and I've held their hands while they died. And, and a lot of these people were very old. The, the oldest member of our church to die was 99 years old. It was a little bit sad for us because his family like really wanted him to get on the Smucker's bottle. You guys know this thing, like Smucker's, uh, w- w- they, they have like on the back of the bottle, they have people who live to be 100, you know, and they have like profiles. And so that was the thing that they would always say to this guy. They're like, Woody, 
Come on, man, you got to make it, right? A couple more years, you, you can hang in there, right? You got to get on that smucker's bottle. And, <laughs> you know, I used to say, like, Woody, I can't, because everyone's like, oh, I can't wait until your 100th birthday. I'm like, Woody, I can't wait until your 101st birthday. Because I'm like, you guys are going to kill Woody, right? When he turns 100, he's like, I made it, and then he's going to die, right? <laughs> but Woody got so close, 99, and then he died. Can you imagine 99 years old, right? Like, I mean, it is crazy the things this guy has seen, the, guy, the things this guy has experienced. And one of the things that I've learned from being with well, I have no great euphemism, more seasoned people, more veteran human beings, old people, right? One of the things I've learned from being with very old people, people who are at death's door, they're not nearly as afraid as the young. Isn't it weird? Like the youngest amongst us tend to be the most afraid of death. So is it really death that we're afraid of or is it the shadow of death? Is it all the things that death may represent for us? And that's one of the things that is actually very comforting to me. When I meet people in the church, people who've been living for the Lord, they believe in God. And when they get close to death, they're not afraid. Not, I mean, it, it, everyone's experience is different. I'm not going to say that all of them are unafraid, but not nearly as afraid as the young, who in many ways are you know, much farther from death than they are. That's comforting to me, to know that you don't necessarily need to live afraid of death, to know that there's many people who are not. And the closer you get to it, in some ways, in many ways, we become less afraid. Why are we so afraid of death, friends? Well, one is because of that uncertainty, because we don't know what it's going to be. And for many of us, uncertainty is one of the worst things in life, right? And so a lot of us, we act out in this uncertainty. You know, we, we, we want to be able to control our lives. And, and knowing that we are out of control, um, that can be very anxiety-provoking for a lot of people. Uh, so just not having control. Uh, for many of us, we imagine the worst. You know, we imagine uh, like, like horrible scenarios in our life. That is the shadow of death for many of us too. You guys ever like uh, not do normal things in life because you are afraid of the shadow of death? I I'll tell you, friends, that um, I, I go to the park every single day, just about, to spend time with the Lord. And when I first started doing it, I was a little afraid. I'm just going to be honest because I have seen enough horror movies and I've seen enough like, like news uh, stories about people who have been murdered in parks where no one else was there. So the first time I went to a park, I'm like, no one is here. I'm like walking around the park, and I'm just imagining some guy in a hockey mask just jumping out of the woods, right? I'm like, if that happened right now, nobody would find my corpse. Later, they'd look for me, and they're like, oh, yeah, Pastor Steve likes to go to parks. They would scour all the parks. I have this weird fantasy about these things. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about that? Have you ever, I mean, okay, you don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever heard a weird noise in your house? And you're like, that could either be the ice machine or an axe murderer. I, I don't know, just 50-50 chance, right? Have you ever not gone downstairs because you were afraid of the shadow of death? Have you ever not walked outside because you were afraid of the shadow of death? Have you ever not talked to somebody because you were afraid of the shadow of death? They could be a serial killer. You just don't know. You just don't know, right? It sounds silly, friends, but this is such a gripping fear for us, for many of us. 
It overshadows so much of life. And what does fear do? Remember, what Solomon, or the writer of Ecclesiastes, his advice is, hey, you know what? We're all going to die. Live your life boldly. But you cannot live your life boldly if you are always afraid. For many of us, we are always afraid. Some of you are thinking, well, Pastor Steve, I'm not afraid of death. I'm afraid of other things. I'm afraid of embarrassment. I'm afraid that people won't like me. I'm afraid of failure. Friends, I got to say, I think it's all the same route. You may not, uh, this may not be as convincing to you, but one of the things that I've learned about rejection, about failure, about people not liking you, is that it's all can be distilled to one thing that we call shame. And where does shame come from? Uh, Shame is one of the most powerful in basic human emotions. And what a lot of uh, uh, development researchers find is that it comes from the time that you were very young. So when you're young, the most basic thing you need to survive, more than food, more than water, than shelter, is how you're going to get all that stuff. Because you're a baby, right? Have you seen a baby get their own food? Have you seen a baby just work their own job? And, you know, that doesn't happen. So how do they get all the things they need to live? They get it through somebody who loves them, who cares about them. So the, the, the need to be loved and cared for is the most basic human emotion. And what shame is, is the fear that if somebody knew this thing about me, if this were to get out, this would somehow disqualify me from love. Somehow I would lose connection with someone else. Oh, psh, well, I'm really stupid. Oh, well, I'm a failure. They're not going to love me anymore. I'm ugly. Who would love an ugly baby? <laughs> Who would love an ugly person? Right? This, these are the fears we carry. And the thing with shame, if you've ever felt it, and, and researchers say that the responses to shame are the same responses you have to a physical threat. The same response you would have to a horror movie. You know, your palms start sweating. Your armpits start sweating. You freeze, right? Maybe you turn pale, you know? Uh, all of those responses that you have are the same to shame as a physical threat. Why? Because they're all linked to death. What shame feels like is it feels like you're dying. That's what it feels like. Or it feels like you might die, that threat of death. It is the shadow of death. It's the same thing. So now think about if the greatest fear you could possibly have is of death. You know, think about what it says here in uh, Psalm 118.6. It says, the Lord is... For me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Now, I might be afraid of someone's rejection. I might be afraid that someone will ridicule me. I might be afraid of failing in some way. But what is the worst thing that can happen? Somebody will kill me, right? Somebody rejecting me. Somebody teasing me. Somebody not liking me. Don't you think that's a lesser fear in some ways? Right? It's all on the same continuum is the argument I'm trying to make. But if I could be unafraid of dying, if I could be unafraid of death, then everything in between would be taken care of. The Lord is with me. He is for me. He is on my side. So what can man do to me? Do your worst. We're going to talk about in a moment, we're going to get to this, these people who are completely unafraid of death. 
do you think they really care about what people think about them? They're like, oh, I'm unafraid. If somebody were to come and run me over with a tank, go ahead, do your worst. But don't tease me. Don't hurt my feelings. That's not going to happen, right? If you are unafraid of death, you're going to be unafraid of everything else. You can live your life boldly. And that is one of the things that we learn. And so in the Christian life, we have this belief that Jesus himself has overcome death itself. So this is from uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57. It says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Remember, we talked about shame, right? For in the Christian language, shame and sin are always connected. This idea that I am not enough, I'm not doing enough, I've done wrong, and that causes shame. The sting of death is sin and shame. Those two things are connected. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So friends, if you have heard me preach on the resurrection, I apologize, Uh, this might be a little bit of a repeat for you. But this is part of the reason why the resurrection is the seminal event in Christianity. There's a modern Christian movement where we overemphasize the event that comes before it. Now, the event that comes before it is very important. Don't get me wrong. The cross, Jesus dying on the cross, is very important. But make no mistake, friends, we don't worship on a Friday. We worship on Sunday. And if you were to look at the way that Christians talk about you know, like if you were to distill all the teachings of Christianity, you would think that the only thing that's important is the cross, you know, because we think it's only about uh, Jesus dying for our sins so that we're forgiven, you know? That's the atonement. That's Friday. That's the cross. But what do we do with the resurrection? Why is the resurrection important? The resurrection is important because that is the ultimate victory over what? What did Jesus do? He defeated death itself. And that's why it says here, 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the teaching about resurrection. And so the great conclusion of it is, oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? It's gone. It has been defeated. It has been swallowed up in the cross and overcome in the resurrection. He has given us complete victory over it. So no more does death have its power over us. Jesus is a guy who lived his life boldly. He wasn't afraid of what people would do to him. They did make fun of him, by the way. There were people who didn't like what he did. There were people who tried to thwart him every step of the way. Was Jesus afraid of failing? Was Jesus afraid of what the people might say to him? Was he afraid of people's opinion? No, because he wasn't afraid of death either. And when it came down to it, when it came down to a choice, I will walk this road that it's painful, that my friends are going to abandon me, where I'm going to be tortured and I'm going to die. But by doing so, I can kick off a revolution. I can show the whole world my love in the most powerful possible way. I can free all of humanity. I had the choice to do that but I'm going to have to face death every step of the way. And Jesus did that knowing full well 
that the victory over death was had by God. And so, Jesus resurrected. And so, we are told we can have that same insight. We can have that same victory over death, over all these things that, that, that threaten to overwhelm us. I want to tell you somebody who lived in that way. This is Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth. Um, Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth was a very good friend of Martin Luther King Jr. And he's one of the, the instrumental key leaders in the civil rights movement. Um, so if you guys don't know, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, actually was a pastor in what state? Anyone know? Originally. Where was he a pastor? Nope. Nope. Georgia. Okay, he was in Georgia. But he did a lot of his meaningful ministry in Alabama. And the reason why is because of Fred Shuttlesworth. Because Fred Shuttlesworth invited him to come to Montgomery and to march with him and to be involved in uh, the kinds of things that he was doing in the city, uh, in, in the state of Alabama, in, in the city of Montgomery. And so this is a quote from Fred Shuttlesworth. You have to be prepared to die before you can begin to live. That's exactly what we've been ta- talking about, friends, to face the reality that you may die and, and to, to come to grips with that. Well, what does that mean for us? Do I need to be afraid of that if there is the reality of a resurrection? Fred Shuttlesworth wasn't afraid of that. So Fred Shuttlesworth was able to live in a most extraordinary way. I want to watch a short, a very short uh, biographical video about Fred Shuttlesworth's life. Without Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth, Birmingham would not have worked. You're talking about a man who had his church bombed several times and beaten badly a couple times, been in jail numerous times. Someone blew his house up on Christmas night, 1956. The entire neighborhood thinks that Fred has been killed. He walks out the back door without a scratch, no broken bones, goes to the front of the building and calms people down and makes them go home. He tries to integrate Phillips High School in 1957 with his daughters and these individuals. They hit him with everything. Bike chains, brass knuckles. The first time he saw brass knuckles, he was getting hit with them. This man goes to the hospital. Doctor's trying to figure out why he doesn't have a cracked skull or a contusion. Uh, uh, Reverend Shelsworth told the doctor, well, he knew I lived in a hard town, so God gave me a hard skull. He checks himself out of the hospital and goes to church meeting. Walks in and is like, hey, how many of y'all are mad? Of course, people are mad, raising their hands. Y'all are ready to fight, aren't you? People say, yeah, that's, that, something has to happen. He said, I'm not mad. I got beat up. I'm not angry. This is the price of victory. And he told people that night, after getting beat within an inch of his life, that if they did one thing, broke one window, he would say, you did it to hurt the movement and wouldn't support you. This person was a great man. He is the reason King comes to this town in the first place. So uh, it it may have been hard to hear the audio there, but one of the things um, that, one of the first things they mentioned about Fred Shuttlesworth was uh, on Christmas uh, one year, uh, someone bombed his house. And his house, I don't know if you saw in that video, it was just completely in rubbles. 
And Fred, Fred Shuttlesworth walked out of the rubble unharmed. And then, you know, people were all like, like they, were, they were all frantic. They were afraid. They were angry. And he was out there covered in dust from his house, calming people down. And then the other story was about a, a time where Shred, Fred Shuttlesworth was beaten, you know, savagely. And people thought he was dead. And they brought him to the hospital. And the same day he comes out and he's still, you know, going to his church. And he's still talking to these people. And the, the thing with Fred Shuttlesworth is that he did not fear death. You know, he had this, this, this thing. He's like, well, you tried to bomb me and that didn't work. You know, <laughs> you tried to beat me and kill me. That's not going to work. Hey, God still has work, work for me here. God gave me a hard skull because this is a hard town. You know, we got to love. We got to forgive. And he was able to live his life in that way. Friends, I'm not here to tell you that if you are afraid of death that you're somehow a coward, you're somehow a bad person, it just makes you human. We're all like that. The reason why Fred Shuttlesworth is so extraordinary, the reason why stories like that are so unusual is because it's unnatural. The natural way is to be afraid of dying. The natural way is to live for self-preservation. But that natural way also keeps us from living a life for God's kingdom. It also makes us very afraid, very timid, very fearful of people's approval, very fearful of uncertainty of what the future holds. It holds us back from living the kind of life that Jesus is calling all of us to live. Fred, friends, when, when I hear about people like this who are unusual in the eyes of the world, but amongst the saints of God, it wasn't all that unusual. For the people of the resurrection, we know the disciples, uh, almost every single one, perhaps except for one, for John, um, they were all martyred. They were all killed for their faith. There's stories, crazy stories about people in countries where Christianity was outlawed, where you could not own a Bible, and that they would get, get a, a steamroller, and they're just rolling over just the way that you would roll over pavement. They're rolling over the bodies of Christians who are tied to the ground. And these Christians are praying, and they're singing hymns as their bodies are being crushed by a bulldozer. There's stories like that all over the place. It's one of the things that was very compelling to John Wesley that was the impetus for this guy who was a priest where he realized there was something lacking in his faith when he was on his way to Georgia, of all places, uh, from England, where he thought he was going to be this great missionary, and there was a huge uh, storm, and John Wesley thought he was going to die. He started to despair. He started to panic and cry, and he looks over on the other side of the hold of that ship and he sees a group of German immigrants, just women and children, and, and some of them elderly. And they're just huddled in a circle. And he looked at their faces, and they were so at peace. They were not afraid. They're singing hymns and praying again. And, and you hear this time and time again, that there were people, the people of the resurrection, who were not afraid of dying. And they could live their lives then, wide awake. Friends, it is true that someday you and I, 
all of us will stop breathing. It's true. Everything under the sun will be subject to death, right? It's not a spoiler alert that you weren't aware of, I don't think. But friends, we could spend our whole lives just hiding from that, stockpiling more stuff, more money, you know, building bigger gates. I mean, you think about that, like, what, what, what is all the money in the world going to get you? You know, I, I used to talk about this, that one of the great um, goals for people in life is to have bigger gates and walls to keep people out. Why? You know, you ever see, like, millionaires and billionaires where they live? You know, some of them live in gated communities, huge gates, keep all the riffraff out, keep all the, you know, if there's ever a purge in America, like those silly movies, right? Like they would be the ones to survive because they have huge gates. But then the people who uh, have even more money, they actually don't have any neighbors, right? They just like buy up an island or something, you know? (laughs) Or they buy up like all the houses around them just so they don't have to have any neighbors. Why? What is that all about, friends? Is it about privacy? Well, yeah, maybe. But maybe it's about the shadow of death. Maybe about, it's about this idea, I don't want any threats around me. I don't want there to be any chance that somebody could look into my house and see me and want to kill me or do harm to me. I am going to be safe and secure. And we have this illusion that we can have that in this world. And friends, what we find is that death comes to us all. Right? Cancer doesn't differentiate whether or not you have lots of money or not. These things come to us all. Age doesn't avoid you because you're, you're a good moral person, because you're good looking. It comes to us all. We cannot avoid it. And yet we have this life where there is great hope, as it says. You can use this life for something extraordinary. You know, a guy like Fred Shuttlesworth, he wasn't afraid of what people did to him, but he wasn't afraid to talk to people. He wasn't afraid of what they might think about him. So many of us, the very simple things, we hear stories about Fred Shuttlesworth and we're like, oh, that's so extraordinary. I, I wish I could be like someone like that. But I don't live during the great civil unrest that he lived in. There aren't as many opportunities to do stuff like that. But friends, I think we do live in an age where the kingdom of God is not yet here. Look at this world. Look how broken it is. Look how many people are in need of someone to reach out to them in boldness, not being afraid of what someone might do to them or think about them, but to reach out to them with love and to be that extension of Jesus to them. But so many of us, we don't do it because we're afraid, and all of it comes down to the shadow of death. Now, friends, part of the reason why I go to that park It's not just so that I can enjoy myself. It is enjoyable, by the way. But so that the grace of Jesus Christ, the truth of the resurrection, can seep into my soul. It's one thing to have it here, but it's another thing to have it in your soul. You know, so many of us, we are so afraid of the shadow of death. It is so basic to who we are that we don't even know that we're running from it. We don't even know that so much of what we're doing, I mean, even like reckless behavior in in a weird way is actually running from the shadow of death, you know, because it's this weird way of being like, you know what, if I just kind of do all these reckless things in the face of it, it will show that I'm not afraid of it. But usually the one with the biggest bark, the one who says the loudest, I'm not afraid, man, I'm not afraid, 
those are the people who are most afraid, right? And so even by a reckless living, even by avoiding it, even by saying, ah, oh, I'm not afraid, I don't care about that. It kind of proves the point, doesn't it? That we are really afraid. So friends, for us to be people who embrace this love, as we sang that song, it is an undying love. The fact that God loves you enough that he's able to reach across the chasm of even death itself and grip your life. So even when you breathe your last breath and you close your eyes in death, you will open up your eyes in the kingdom of God. You will open up your eyes and be with this God who never stopped loving you and never will. And if you know that in every fiber of your being, then you do not need to live your life afraid. One of my favorite favorite writers, this guy Dallas Willard, he talked about the kingdom of God so much, so influential in my life and a lot of other people in teaching the kingdom of God. You know, he had this wonderful way of talking about death. He said, I believe my life will not end. I'll breathe my last breath. I'll open up my eyes and I'm just going to keep going. And with Dallas Willard's last breath, he wasn't afraid. He wasn't shaking. Somebody was there when he died. And you know what Dallas Willard's last breath was? Well, his last, his last words, he said two simple words. He just said, thank you, and then he died. And I believe that the next moment, Dallas Willard opened up his eyes, and he was with Jesus. He was not afraid. There are so many times where I still am, friends. I'm not going to come here and say, oh, you know, I have it all figured out. I'm still learning to be unafraid. And that's why I need to spend time with this truth. I need to keep reminding myself. I can't just be like, oh, yeah, 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 Jesus died, he rose again, yeah, 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 whatever. But that truth needs to seep deep in. Do I believe it? Do I really believe it? As I pray, as I wrestle, when I'm at that park, when I'm spending those moments, those quiet time moments, do I really believe this? And will I let this truth just seep seep more into my life? Because I need that truth. The Lord is my shepherd, so I don't need to want anything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. Do you know that, friends? Do you know in every fiber of your being that he is with you? Because he is. And if he is, then you don't need to live your life afraid. You can face anything. It's kind of a superpower, isn't it? Fred Shuttlesworth, man, it's like a superpower. <laughs> Walks out of a building after it blew up, you know? Hey, come on, let's, let's march. Hey, come on, let's forgive. Hey, come on, let's love. We only have this one life, so let's live it well. Eric, if you could come up. And friends, why don't we pray? Maybe we can confess that. If you do have fear of the shadow of death, you are like a lot of us. Friends, there's no shame in that. It's natural. You know, I, I, I don't think you're doing yourself any favors to deny a truth that is true of you. And I'll admit, even as a pastor, there's still the shadow of death there within me. I'm still learning this truth, friends. You know, and so for all of us, can we just confess that? And maybe to affirm this truth before God. Maybe we can just speak that out, even if you don't fully believe it, to say, Jesus, you conquered death itself. 
Lord, teach me to be unafraid. Yeah, Lord, I've been living a lot of my life running from that shadow of death. I'm so afraid of what people think about me. I'm so worried about it. So worried about failing. So worried about letting people down. So worried about not having enough, not being enough, not storing up enough, not leaving enough for the people who come after me, Lord. And the truth is that if you love me enough to send your son to die for me, to give me everlasting life, conquer death itself, if that is true, just by believing in letting that truth seep in. I could live a life completely unafraid. Not even death can touch me. I don't need to fear and sting anymore. I don't need to fear the shadow. But I can live for you. God, I'm so excited about what that could mean for us. That we are here, we're just ordinary people. So is Fred Shuttlesworth. So is Martin Luther King. So were the disciples. So were so many people who are just like us. They had fears like us. They had limitations like us. And yet, that gospel truth, the good news of the resurrection, it seeped into their souls. It infected them in a way where they could not be stopped. They were unstoppable because they were not afraid. And they weren't afraid because they knew that you loved them. You loved them with an undying love. God, that's my prayer for every person here. We can know that undying love. We can know it in our bones. We can know it in our soul. We can know it in every cell, in every fiber of our being. You love us so much. Jesus died for us and he rose again. Let us sing from the mountaintops. Let us sing of joy as we remind our own souls that this is true. For the people of God, we do not need to taste death the same way. That people without this hope, there is hope. We can live this life unafraid. In Jesus' name.